0: Curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that's someone is mean and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who've been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney-Trovato, and this is the Living Your Legacy podcast. Hello, everyone, Michelle saini Travado here. Super excited to have you back for another episode of the Living Your Legacy podcast. One of the things that I'm enjoying the most about this podcast is the ability to reach out to incredible people who are doing really extraordinary and unique things, things that we probably haven't heard about, things that we really should know about, things that actually will change the world, one person, one event one episode at a time. And today is no different. I have a really extraordinary woman here that I met in a networking event many moons ago and heard what she did and thought, my gosh, that is so exciting and really impressive, very inspirational. Because as many of you know, I have a background in education myself and looking at the education system And looking at the world today, there's lots of places where the two do not match up. and We need to find unique ways to make that happen. And our guest today is one of those people who's finding unique ways to make that happen. So I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to my friend Leah. Leah Koss is on a mission to change the way we value and educate humans in society. Right there, she speaks into my heart. With the evolution of artificial intelligence, technology, and robotics, Leah believes that our roles as humans and the skills we require to feel successful and fulfilled have radically changed, and I'm sure lots of people would agree with that. But our outdated biases and judgments of one another have not. This contradiction is having a detrimental impact on our own feelings of self-worth and limiting our true potential to be happy. She is the founder and co-founder of growing organizations such as BBK Network, Build-A-Biz Kids, and Your Current Future. And of course, we're going to pick into each of these and look at them and dig down to see what's going on there. Utilizing her extensive background in franchise systems and her ongoing research in essential soft skill development and mindset, Where organizations are actively developing advanced learning methods and resources for individuals and organizations. Once we shift our mindset to see our own true value as an individual, we will be able to see that in others as well and flourish together as a harmonious society. Well, I love all of that. Leah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michelle. Good to be here. So, Leah, I wanna dig in first. A little bit about your background and what led you to uh, these three amazing things you got listed here, the BBK Network, Build a Biz Kids and your current future. So tell us a little bit about you. I mean, really, when we are in grade four and the teacher says, what do you want to be when you grow up? None of those things would have been on the list. So how'd you get there?
1: Oh, uh, it's it's serendipity, it's being ready to be ready at different stages of your life when opportunities or messages, you know, present themselves. And um, like all of us, I started in a very similar place, which is the public education system. Now, um, I think it's so funny, because if you were to have asked even just any of my friends in my family, um, even five years ago, 10 years ago, is Leah going to be working in education? Is Leah going to be working with kids? It would have been a resounding no, because I was such a corporate driven girl. And growing up, there was no such thing as even entrepreneurship. It was you owned your own business, which was kind of this feeling of, oh, are you like hustling cars on the side? Are you doing like Avon? Like there was no such thing in the 80s as as entrepreneurship. There's certainly no movement. It was all about getting a corporate job that was hopefully unionized, uh, had health and benefits, and was gonna be secure and safe for you, for you and your family for a long time. And then certainly being a girl growing up, my only role model was designing women in Murphy Brown. And if you know those references, you know those were not the greatest role models. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were the only women who were powerhouses, had their own business or really owned themselves uh, Murphy Brown, however, though, was a shoulder pad wearing, raging alcoholic, uh chain smoker for a lot of the season who just couldn't get along with people. And so that became my perception that in order to get anywhere, you had to be aggressive. You had to be mean. You had to uh, stand your ground. And so because of that, I had to do a lot of deprogramming and assessing of myself of what my worth was. Um. So many of us, and I think this is really the core of what all of the organizations that I work with are doing to try and change. We believe from a very young age, first it's our parents, then it's our teachers, it's our coaches, it's our friends, it's our community. We believe that our worth is based on how many of them externally value us, are impressed by us, um, like us. And so because of that, we're constantly seeking external validation. But depending on the day of the week, your mom could love you or she could be irritated by you. And it actually, most of the time, had nothing to do with you. It had to do with her having a terrible night's sleep or sitting in traffic or her boss did something that really bothered her. But you're taking it as a personal valuation of who you are. Mm -hmm. So so much of what we're doing um, on the surface, which we'll get into with some of the um, organizations that I'm I'm working with and building on here, um, yes, we're teaching kids to have real world hands-on experience and be future ready and, you know, understand the dynamics of how AI and robotics and social media and all these really cool innovations that we have, how that's going to impact their, logistically, their futures. But ultimately what we're trying to do is build better humans with higher developed human skills, aka soft skills, than any generation before. Because if we can do that, a lot of those human skills, and there's a debate on how many there are, but there's well over 70. Um, If you talk to some people, there's over 100. Um, If we can focus on that, a lot of them are around confidence, self-worth, self-analysis, self-assessment. If we can start to internally validate ourselves, then we no longer need to seek external validation. And what a huge relief that is, because now you're not, depending your success, your happiness, on external factors that ultimately you have no control over. You've now taken full control over what you want, what you value. You feel happy just waking up in the morning instead of waking up in the morning and then waiting to see, is this a good day? Should I be happy? Will I be successful today? Do people love me today? What happened while I was sleeping, right? So that's ultimately what we're going to do is, is put our own happiness, our own feelings of success and value in ourselves. And that's what all of uh, the organizations are working towards because I didn't feel validated. I was, for the first 30 years of my life, felt that only externally could you be given a pat on the back. If you got a raise, it meant you did a good job. If you got the job, if you didn't get the job, if you got the, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the parent's approval, the teacher's approval... Um, you closed that sale. These are all external validations of my self-worth and that's how I was raised. That's how a lot of us are raised. So that's where the deprogramming is. That's why I do what I do now. Would have never guessed it for the majority of my life. I'd be working in the education sector. It just seems so, for lack of a better word, not sexy, uh, defeating. And I think we all have a little bit of PTSD um, from growing up in the education system.
0: I couldn't agree with you more on all of those things, both as a parent and as a teacher in the education system, that it is overwhelming, defeating, and all of those words you use to describe that for sure. So, I'd like to spend a little time uh, looking at each of those organizations that you've been involved in, what they are, who they serve. So, let's start out with BBK Network. What is that?
1: So that actually spawned out of um, COVID. And if I were to just create a synopsis, uh, BBK Network is like the parent company, if you will. So it's like Johnson & Johnson or P&G. It's that family uh, overhanging, overarching brand. And then um, organizations like Build-A-Biz Kids, uh, the Fuel Academy that will be evolving soon, uh, Your Current Future, they just kind of hover um, underneath. Ultimately, BBK Network is just um, the parent mission is to change the way that we value humans in society and to make sure that we really are bridging the gap of what society needs and what we need as individuals um, so that we can, you know, create an amazing world that we live in while also feeling happy and fulfilled ourselves.
0: I love that. Now let's dig in a little bit to build a biz kids. This one was my introduction to you and really fascinated me being a parent having two kids who the education system doesn't always work for. um, I'm quite interested in knowing more about that. And I bet that our audience would be too. So tell us about that one.
1: Yeah. Build this Kids is really the one that um, was the gateway, if (laughs) you will, into this. And it all started by accident. Myself and my partner at the time, he had an eight-year-old son. Uh, His son's school was uh, one of the grade six classes was doing an entrepreneurship course where they then got to build a business and sell products and make money, but his grade six class didn't get to do that. And he was like or grade five, whichever it was at the time. And we just thought, oh, that kind of sucks. Like first off, I wish we had that when we were a kid. That's the number one thing that people say to me when they hear about build build of his kids. But um we were like this, there needs to be something else. And so we decided we got a curriculum together and we um decided to launch this as a bit of a hobby he'd always worked in the nonprofit sector. I'd always worked in franchising and the for-profit sector. Um, And as an entrepreneur on my side, for him, someone who worked in the um, nonprofit sector, we launched it as a charity. Now that was in the beginning of 2018. COVID has happened since then. So when we first launched it, we were actually delivering programs to kids primarily around entrepreneurship, but you know, underlyingly, it's all about the human skills that you develop through entrepreneurship. Um, you know, things like uh, financial literacy is obviously born out of that self-confidence, verbal communication, written communication, empathy, collaboration, decision-making, self-awareness, like there's just so many things, resiliency, which is what a lot of us needed through COVID. But when COVID hit, aside from all of the <laughs> negative things that were happening in the world, for us, it was one of the greatest things that ever happened. And I think, um, it also was a great thing for a lot of companies, although there was a lot of resistance to it in the beginning. It was this moment where we always try to teach the kids in our programs, um, which has evolved to more than just entrepreneurship, our two foundational rules. The one rule is that there's no such thing as one right answer to anything. And the second rule is you're never done. And when COVID hit, it was the first time people had to stop posturing and faking it like they knew the right answer to everything. There was no right answer. The rule books were were thrown out. There was nothing that they could do um, except look at each other and go, all right, well, I guess I can, I'm going to try this. You're not going to judge me though, right? Because you don't know either. And it was super liberating for those who wanted to be liberated. And we ended up shifting um, how we offer our programs. We also really had to sit with ourselves and say, okay, here's our mission. We wanna reach as many kids, especially from vulnerable populations, as possible. To do that, we have to reduce barriers, which means there has to be no fees, which means it needs to be accessible for even those kids who are in rural and remote locations. Um, We really had to assess how we were physically delivering things and what we were doing was very limiting. We were limited on capacity by delivering them ourselves. We were limited geographically by delivering them ourselves. So that was one thing that we realized. Second thing is where does our strength lie? Our strengths was in innovating curriculum and teaching methodologies. When um, COVID first hit, we ended up logging so many hours teaching kids online in Zoom rooms with 40 kids in a room. And these are kids sitting in their bedroom with every distraction at their disposal. And we had to hack. How do I get their attention and get them excited about what they're doing? That was first and foremost, We ended up logging so many hours and kind of hacking that, really figuring out how do you do that effectively, which, by the way, a lot of this ended up working for adults, trying to keep them engaged as well, that we ended up doing a speaking tour across Canada. The Canadian Red Cross funded us so that we could teach other educators how to engage with kids in Zoom rooms. There were teachers who had taught for 20 plus years and they thought they were amazing teachers, but you throw them in a Zoom room and they were just like, I'm stressed out. I'm Zoom fatigued. I'm... I feel like I'm losing connection with these students. How do I overcome this? So we realized that our, our strength was not just in the delivery of programs. We thought we could, we hire college kids at the end of the day to deliver our programs. So that's not where our strength was. It was in the innovation and the understanding of mindset, understanding communication and engagement with youth, and then the curriculum itself so that we were doing really cool future ready things while flexing all these human skills deliberately on purpose. So that that was the next thing. And then the third thing was sustainability. We realized that, I mean, coming from the for-profit world, charity models are very, very broken. Um, And truly, like, um, for those of you who have ever thought, I'm going to donate to a charity, and your first thought was, how much money is going to the admin side of things? That's a broken mindset on charity, because that means that you're not allowing them to pay their people to do the right things. You're not allowing them to be capacity and tools. We're having to use discounted and um, kind of negative off-the-shelf subpar software for doing things. And, and ultimately, it's really limiting our, our ability to do what we need to do over here. So I put on my, my franchising hat and we thought about how can we do this sustainably. So that's what we learned through COVID. So uh, moving into t- today, um, we're literally in the midst of this. So by the time this podcast launches, it'll probably be fully um, up and running. What we realized is that we are just going to be innovating curriculum. We're just going to be developing these programs. And if we run programs ourselves, it's going to be because we're beta testing things that we've innovated. And now we're creating them for third party delivery. We're then um, using a different distribution model, which is we want to get this in the hands of every organization and school that works with vulnerable youth in a way that they can offer it for free. So because of that, we've got uh, here in Canada, because we are a Canadian charity, we have something called Adopt a School Program. So a donor or grants or foundations can essentially say, oh, I want to adopt my child's school. I want them to be able to run these programs. When you do that for $2,000 a year, it gives every single teacher, not just one grade six classroom, you know, every single teacher in that school, all of the kids access to not just the entrepreneur program, but also our Kid Talks program, which is like, a TED Talk program. We've got um, an innovation challenge, which is all about inventing and prototyping, specifically with social impact in mind. Um, Digital literacy, like how to build an online business. So the schools are not only getting access to the curriculum, the programs, the videos, the tools, resources, the training and support for the teachers, but also physical, tangible tools as well, as, as well as money to be able to run these programs. So that's the new distribution strategy there for reaching more. And then for us, we're gonna be putting on regional events. So all the kids who have been taking these programs, even kids who haven't had the opportunity to take the programs, but they're very entrepreneurial or they've got a message they wanna share, that's where twice a year, we're gonna be having big events where kids can come, they can set up their businesses, open to the public, sell, they can have the stage where they're gonna be able to present their TED Talks or their Kid Talks in this case. Um, And so, uh, that's really what our vision is for distribution. And then the third part was sustainability. So because we're a Canadian charity, we can really only do a lot of good at the moment here in Canada. But this is something that's needed all over the world. So if you're a school in the US, or Australia, or right now, all of our programs are in English. So it's one thing that I will say, but if, if you want to be able to access these programs and tools as well, you can then license them. So that's the, the biggest pivot that we've made in our new distribution strategy, and we're very excited. It's being received so fast, um, and we're going to be reaching essentially 30 times more kids for 50% less capacity on our end to be able to reach them, and that's, that's a huge accomplishment for a charity.
0: Wow. There are so many things there that I want to pick up on. And I hope our audience now understands why I was so impressed with Leah and why I wanted to have her on the podcast and amplify her voice that much more. As a parent, it is so impressive to hear all the things that you said there. Um, And I want to just circle around a few of them for the sake of time. I could actually keep you here for hours talking about this, but I wanted to just speak to a couple of things. Um, One thing that, that COVID has done, which is, I mean, there's a lot of negatives around COVID. One negative that it did was that it, it, childhood and adolescence is a time of peers, They need to be around their peers. They need to socialize with their peers. They need to screw up with their peers. They need to make it right with their peers. They need to have friends, be friends, fall out of friendships. All those things kind of got a bit lost in the melee of technology. And you're right, all the distractions in the bedroom and in their house, whatever room they got all their toys and stuff in. Um, So I'd like to speak, have you speak a little bit to Um, some of the soft skills and you gave a whole list there. Um, But maybe to define a little bit for people, if this is a new term for them, what are soft skills and why are they important for kids to master in the world?
1: Soft skills are so, so critical.
0: So they're essentially the things that
1: um, like in today's definition, a very lax way of describing it is it's the things that make us human. It's the things that AI and technology and robotics are are unable to accomplish. So for example, academic skills or technical skills are things that robotics are already taking over, right? Um, When it comes to math, uh, mathematical literacy is important. That means understanding the concepts, when to use it, why to use it. But to actually do it, Nobody is paying you to do math these days. Even mathematicians don't get paid to do math. Um, if you go to NASA, they're they've got computers that are doing this stuff. They're not doing it by hand, right? But you still need to understand why you're applying that math, the literacy behind it. Um, so that would be the uh, a very easy distinction, but that's a broad stroke. What's so frustrating about soft skills, which is the thing that is truly my personal mission to overcome. The reason in the education system we focus primarily on academic skills and technical skills is because you can measure them. If you get the question right, you get a point. If you don't, then you don't. The problem is, is that, you know, aside from 1 plus 1 equals 2, if we look at science, it's a great example. There's actually, in my opinion, still no one right answer to anything. Why? Because science keeps progressing. Because people say, that's not good enough. There's a better answer than that. Yet, we're still grading people based on whether they got that biology question right, even though there's like 90% of the human body that people still don't understand how it works. But we're testing you based on what we think we know. Um, When you look at soft skills, how do you quantify someone's confidence, their ability to make decisions, um, their self awareness, their collaboration, their leader? I can tell you if someone's a good leader. But if you ask me to measure it and how I know, well, that's my personal subjective opinion. I've had to be led by them, and I thought they did a good job. Meanwhile, someone else could be a good leader, but I just don't resonate with them the same way. So does that mean that I should subjectively be grading them less, even though other people think they're a good leader? So soft skills, there's no one consensus anywhere in the world on how many soft skills there are, the true definitions between them and how to measure them. When you can't measure them, the school system doesn't like that. They go, "Eh, how do we know if we're doing a good job? Eh, How do we know if we're better than other countries? Eh, How do we know if our district is doing better than that district? Or this teacher is a good teacher versus that teacher. So the grading component is a really um, difficult thing for them to overcome. Some school systems are trying to. Here in BC, they are fairly progressive in looking at soft skills, but simultaneously, you ask a lot of teachers and parents for that matter, reading their report cards, they've made it highly complicated as well. Because they're still trying to fit this old methodology or, or mentality towards um judging a child, which is essentially what we're doing. We're judging children based on their value through a grading system. And how do you do that when it comes to your human skills? Um, what we're wanting to do over here in, in research, it's um What we're really wanting to do is allow teachers and parents and school districts and governments to be able to have confident conversations around soft skills. When you don't know how many there are, which ones are most important versus not important, when you don't even know the full definitions, you know, what is empathy versus emotional intelligence, you know, people trying to to discern, well, what is that definition? When there is no consensus, people tend to shy away from having conversations around it. So that's what we want to do is we want to create a framework. We want to allow people to have more conversations around this. Um, But ultimately, when you look at just judging and valuing students growing up for their entire youth, um, based on technical and academic skills, that's just not good enough anymore. Because those skills um, are just not as valued in the marketplace, right? AI is going to be running circles around your child. If they got A pluses their entire life in math, they are going to get shell shocked when they try to get a job and they don't understand how to use software and intuitively understand digital literacy on on applying what they know in math to the real world. You know, how do you apply that to accounting? How do you apply that to architecture? How do you apply that to all the other things that we need math for? The other negative thing that happens there is they've now placed their self-worth in their ability to be, I'm a good, I'm someone who's just good at math. But wait a minute, you don't, care about that anymore. Where's my worth? They actually found that in colleges and universities, the students who cheat on exams, they're not the C and D students. They're the A students, because those are the students who are so fearful of their personal worth being devalued that they're willing to cheat in order to maintain that A grade. So now we've done one thing that fundamentally in the world You just, we don't care about those skills once you get in the real world. Can you lead a team? Can you sell to customers? Do you know how to build relationships? Can you empathize on our marketing team, on the messages that our target audience needs to hear? Do you understand those things? Because that's what we need. I don't care if you wrote an essay on Helen Keller and the amazing things she did. What are the amazing things you can do, right? So we've done that. Now we've also put their self-worth into something that ultimately doesn't matter in the world. So when we talk about what is the difference between or what is soft skills, soft skills are the things that make us human. They're also the things that allow us to feel our own personal self-worth. And that just can't be measured um, in a universal form. And, um, you know, I could have strong empathy when it comes to my children, when it comes to my friend, but maybe I haven't flexed my empathy in the workplace. You know, so you also just can't say I'm empathetic. There's, you know, a lot of different situations where you could be um, displaying that in different ways. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but it is a very difficult question to to answer. It
0: is. Um, and I love how you phrased all of that. Um, again, looking at defining uh, soft skills, where they fit with people and in the workplace, I remember Uh, One time asking my students in my classroom, tell me a job where you do not have to interact with humanity. And they couldn't come up with anything. There was one student who said, well, an astronaut. I'm like, who do you think they're talking to at NASA? They're out in space, all right, but they got to communicate with each other. And they've got to communicate with somebody on the ground. they got to come back here. So, nope, sorry, that one's not it. And they really struggled with that. You're right. The uh, education system, as a general rule, is not set up. To help kids, three things that you said that I I really wanted to highlight with critical thinking, what am I going to do with this information? Do I believe what I just read? And that's so important because the internet is out there. And well, if COVID taught us nothing, it's that it is sort of equal parts of truth and fiction. And we need to be able to define that for ourselves to be able to look at something and say, hmm, not sure that I necessarily believe that. Is that backed by? research is who is saying this, who where is this being published? Like those critical thinking questions that as adults we would hope that we have. Also creative problem solving. Again, this is a situation where as a teacher, one of the things students hated was to be put together to do group work. Hated it. And it dawned on me that they didn't have the skill set to be able to work with other human beings. That they there were those who were defined by that grade. And that was their self worth. And that was their question. If this kid isn't doing their job, am I going to get that grade? Um, And so, you know, learning to be able to creatively problem solve, how can we collect and connect? I used to say collect people and connect with them, understand where they're coming from, the differences in their opinion and their perspective. Those are important skills in the world today because every one of us has worked with someone who sees the world, the job completely differently from us. And sometimes that causes a lot of friction, right? Yeah, and i can it, say is, oh, sorry. I just wanted to
1: mention as well. Yep. Um, the situation that we have in a classroom too, does what you were kind of alluding to there is essentially we're also making kids feel like it's, it's them against the rest of the kids. Mm-hmm. If you got an A and I got a B, that means you're better than me, even though I'm better than you at drawing and painting, but I'm not being graded on those things. I'm not being graded on the fact that more kids wanna hang out with me in the sandbox after school than you. Um, And so we've also created this competitive, this false competitive nature, and this feeling of comparing ourselves to others. Um, I mean, this was around much before social media ever did. That one just kind of kicked everything in high gear where everything is a comparison um, with other people in the world, but that started in school. I'm comparing myself against you based on what the teacher said and their their word is gospel. Mm -hmm. The other thing I just wanted to mention too is sometimes we believe that um, placing kids in group projects, for example, oh, well, that will will develop their ability to work with others. Well, I always like to use the example of um, my partner. I mentioned his son at the time was like nine or 10. He played baseball and they were in the semi championships. And so often parents will be like, oh, I need to put my kid in sports that's where they learn teamwork and that's where they learn, you know, bonding and communication and working with others and leadership. And I always think of this game because I'm like, no, you still have to do things on purpose. So if you're just putting your kid in in sports or putting your kids in school and crossing your fingers going, it's the coach's job, it's the teacher's job. um, Theoretically, they're going to come out ready for the world. Well, this particular championship game was neck and neck you know, just right up until the very last inning, and the other team won, and there was no human skills developed that day. It, both teams were yelling at each other. The team that lost was crying, snot running down their face. One kid was on the ground, pounding his fist, so angry, calling the other team cheaters, liars. Um, The ref was an idiot. Everyone, or, you know, the umpire was, <laughs> I know my sports well, but like, Everyone was blaming everyone else. It was all externalized. The winning team, though, was no better. It was retaliation on the other team. And see, you guys suck. I told you you did. Oh, I told you I was going to kick your butt. And I just looked at it. I was like, wow, there is no soft skill development happening here. There's no leadership. There's no, you know, any of those things. And so that's the other misnomer is people think, well, I'll just put my kid in this and that should help them to develop. The skills that I desire, but it isn't. There still needs to be um, a purpose, a uh, an intention behind it, and um, touching base with that child because uh, you're just kind of hoping that this child looks at the world in the way that you want them to look at it in, but you have no idea the people they've interacted with that day, the subtle body language that they felt from somebody when um, you know, somebody's having a birthday party and they invited kids and they kind of felt like, oh, you just invited me because you invited everybody else, but you don't really want me there. Like all these little subtleties happening in the world. So we also need to make sure that we're not just hoping the education system is doing what we want. We still have to be very, very active um, in how we communicate with our kids.
0: Again, such an amazing thing there. And uh and you know that was for me like a mic drop moment i wouldn't actually drop this mic but it is a mic drop moment because as a parent that's exactly it um as a secondary teacher and attending sessions with post secondary institutions who wanted to talk to us about you know helping our our all of our children get prepared for that that the soft skills area is one that um that they are really dealing with and frustrated with that Again, with a system where you are graded based on academic skills um, and those marks count for entrance into these institutions, what they found was that, again, students were coming in but not necessarily able to interact with humanity in the way they needed to. So, for example... Um, students were coming into medical school wanting to study the human body. And of course, when you're learning all that, you're working on cadavers and things along those lines. But unless you're going to be a mortician, um, you're actually dealing with live humans who are coming in the room and wanting to talk to you and have concerns and have cultural things and language challenges and have biases of their own and see the world not necessarily the way you do, or um, also. You have to sometimes be the bearer of really bad news um, and you need to be prepared for 75 different ways. Somebody may respond to that news and it might be the 76th way that you've never even thought of. Right. And so they were finding that all of a sudden these, these people who could could tell you all these things about the body were stumped in how to deal with people and that this, Was not good enough because moving forward, they were going to be sitting in front of people and they needed to really look at this. And that was an area that just kept getting brought forward. Like, we don't know what to do with this when, and again, the system has is set up to value those marks and not so much the soft skills, but there is definitely a shift happening as people are seeing that the value on those skills. Um, As I have told my children, when you get an A on that test, that's a mark for right now. When you handle the world better, that's a mark for forever. That is what is going to help you be successful. If you can handle people and interpersonal relationships, if you can handle yourself in ways that, well, the internet is filled with people who are not handling themselves very well in a wide variety of situations. And we look at that and shake our heads and think, oh my gosh, that's so awful, but it is much more prevalent, which is a big comment. So how about, um, let's talk a little about, oh, say, go ahead.
1: I, I just wanted to mention, cause you mentioned from the hospital perspective as well, but this really, you know, if you're a parent, obviously you're going, oh, my child, I want to make sure that they're happy. They're going to be okay. They have a chance at success, right? But if you're a business owner, If you're even work for for any organization in the world, this is also an economic thing that is becoming quite significant. That if we don't start preparing kids differently, there's something called a skill labor gap. Meaning, how is it that we have employers going, I can't find any good people with job openings, while simultaneously having an unemployment rate? And that's because those people who are unemployed don't necessarily have the skills that will allow them to flourish in those roles. But this goes even further than a skill labor gap, this is, there is a staggering number of, well, loosely call them youth, over 27 still living at home. And there's also, if if you're 27 or under, or a parent of a child who's 27 or under, they're probably still living at home. And if they aren't, they'll be coming back. And why is that? Well, it's because um, if you're an employer and you hire someone who's 21, 22, 25, Chances are you're not gonna have that person there for longer than a year because they're gonna be changing jobs. There's this big epidemic, you know, there's quiet quitting, there's um the great resignation, there's all these words being thrown out there when we talk about what's happening in industry right now. Um, we judge millennials and gen wires and you know, whatever generation we're on now, Gen Zers, we judge them as being, oh, they they can't stick with anything, they're demanding too much, right? Um, or they quit and they don't have any resiliency. Well, from their perspective, not to speak for all of them, but many of them are going, well, it's just, I committed to this four-year program in university and I don't want to be an accountant anymore. But I didn't know that until halfway through. And then I kind of still felt pressured like I had to finish it. And then when I got a job, I realized I really, really don't want to be an accountant. And so now they're sitting there lost or they've been taking general studies in university. Or they just didn't go to university at all, and they're working in a bunch of jobs. Or they're going, well, I like what I do, but I think I have to go to the nonprofit sector and do this. Like, I love marketing, but I don't feel good about what I'm marketing. I want to be a part of something bigger and greater in the world. There's a lot of different reasons on why they're not sticking with the jobs that we're in. But either way, that's not good for the individual, and it's definitely not good for industry. Because how do you grow? How do we continue progressing? the rate that we're progressing with innovation, technology and advancements. Um, If we don't have the people who not only can technically do it, but passionately and emotionally commit to the process, see it through, be happy to be here, right? So if we can help kids get more hands-on experience before the age of 18, the most college and university students are getting, that right there is gonna help them to gain perspective. Do I like numbers enough? Like I'm told I'm good at numbers, but does that mean I want to dedicate my, my life to numbers? I love painting. My mom says I'm really good at painting, but like, is that what I really want to do, right? Um, we mentioned uh, in the very beginning, the things that I've done, like franchising, I had no idea what the heck franchising was. When you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? you're going to get one of five answers. Why? Because they only know what their mom does or daddy does, a firefighter, a policeman and the barista at Starbucks. They don't know any other jobs out there to choose from because that's who they're exposed to, right? So it's like we need to help kids gain perspective on how vast this world is, which by the way, they say 85% of jobs that will exist in 2030 have not even been invented yet. So we're no longer trying to educate kids to fill manufacturing jobs that we predictably know will exist. That is not the case anymore. We need to prepare kids for just life, the world. Give them as much perspective so that when they get ready, when they feel ready to want to jump into something, they're jumping into it going, I know I can make a change there. There's not even a job that exists there. I'm going to make that job, right? Um, And it's uh, just for parents listening too, Being a YouTuber is a legitimate job, (laughs) just so you don't think that this is like back in the day when people are like, oh, you want to go plant trees and save the world? You can't make money at that. You can literally make, if you love making paper airplanes, you can make a living, a really good living, just making paper airplanes. Um, You can have YouTube channels, TikTok channels, sell courses on it, write books on it. Um, create your own convention on it where people come out from all around the world to have competitions on the best airplanes, and you will get sponsors like Red Bull for that kind of stuff. So you can literally take anything that your child is passionate about and say, that's okay. You you don't have to be the doctor, the lawyer, the accountant, the architect. It's no longer just those handful of of roles that I need you to be. You can be anything that you want. Um, And Please also never tell your child, well, if you're going to go into hockey, then you'd better stick to it for three years because I'm forking out a lot of money for that. When you put these kind of ultimatums on kids, they're at a stage where they want to try things. And for the parents who say, yeah, but it costs a lot of money. Well, so did the exercise equipment that you bought on the infomercial that's now collecting your laundry. So does all of the kitchen gadgets that you bought, um, you know, the grocery store on a whim and you've never even really used your food processor more than three times. You have spent so much money on whims that you wanted to try and experiment and had good intentions on and didn't follow through with, but you gained perspective from it. You learned what you did and didn't like. That's what your child needs. And we need to um, create more opportunities that are accessible to kids, be able to try sports and dance and arts and business and commerce and you know, course creation and all the other things out there. So they can just really understand and never have those regrets. That's where the midlife crisis came from is going, man, I just committed my whole life in this one direction and never really questioned it if I wanted it. Like, let's get rid of the midlife crisis from happening. Heck, let's give 15 year olds midlife crises. Let's let them go. What What do I want to do? I don't know what I want to do. Oh, here, let me try this, right? Like, let's get all of that experience and- perspective as much as possible out of the way before the age of 20. And now all of a sudden, these kids, when they do decide to to work for your company, they're there for five years. And in fact, they're running their division because they see the vision of it and they're there for all the right reasons. And they don't have any regrets, no voice in the back of their head saying, is this what I really want to do?
0: you for being a part of the Living Your Legacy podcast community in 2022. We can honestly say 2023 is going to be an exciting year. We've got some new things going on that we'd like to share with you. The Living Your Legacy podcast is now offering advertising spots. We found many entrepreneurs spent lots of money on advertising last year only to find that they weren't falling in front of their ideal audience. We'd love to help you get your message out. Let's discuss this. Click the link in the show notes to book a time to chat and see if this could be a good fit for you. Wow. Um, First, I want to say thank you because you are absolutely right. There are every generation and I think has had these differences, those moments. I remember them where I'm saying to my mother, but you don't understand The world isn't the same. And of course, my world wasn't the same as it was for her. And we're hearing this from kids now, too. Like, you don't understand the world isn't the same. And wanting to be a YouTuber is a legitimate, actual, real thing. Um, Maybe at the beginning it wasn't. There's also some resistance on the parent level because this is the great unknown. And we all know how people respond to the great unknown with fear and resistance. They're like, no, no how I can't guide you I can't support you I can't help you because I don't I don't even know what that is or what I should be doing to help you there so I'm going to guide you in a direction that's familiar to me and uh, one that I understand a path I can see down because it's a path maybe I've been down myself um and I also state,
1: if I know you're not going to be fulfilled at least I know that that's the worst it should be right but if yeah. you take a, a jump in this direction then I have no idea if you're going to be Worse than okay, right? And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to mention what you said about parents um, feeling like, but I can't lead you and guide you. That is not your job as a parent. Your job is not to have the answers, but I need to say this as well to teachers. Your job is not to be the person at the front of the room with the right answers. There's an amazing quote that I saw that um, was in this blog, this random blog, and it just said, you know, teachers are not the gatekeepers. To knowledge. They should be the facilitators to discovery. So when I went to this awesome school out here in Coquitlam, uh, they're called Inquiry Hub. Um, It's basically 70% of the time is self-directed, where the students get to do whatever they want to to dive into and 30% just to meet the mandated curriculum requirements of like English and math. And I walked in to one of their tour days and they had a 3D printer over here and all this video equipment set up over here, and some kid was making his own video game over there. And I walked in and there was so much equipment in there. I walked up to the teacher and I said, do you know how to use any of this? And he's like, nope. He's like, but that's not my job. My job is not to know how to use it. If the kids say we want a 3D printer, we supply the printer, but then they read the manual. They learn how to use it. They figure it out. I'm just here to facilitate them, to ask the right questions, to probe their minds. And as a parent, that's your job. Your job is not to predict their future. Your job is not even to make sure that they're going to be okay. Your job is to equip them with questions that they can ask themselves when you're no longer around so that they can make sure that they're okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, The second piece I wanted to say was this. You have now, I heard a collective gasp from all the parents around the world when you talked about 27-year-olds still living at home or coming back because they can't keep a job and parents are pulling their hair out about this because of course no parent wants that right you want your child to be equipped to handle the world so that they can go go forth and be happy be a productive member of society be able to live on your own whether you rent or buy is a whole different podcast um you know all those things but coming back home Moving from job to job to job to job, never seeming to really know what they want. That's a common concern that parents are having, and certainly other parents are hearing. And so, again, touching on that, we're like, oh, that's not what we want. So, how do we avoid that? You've addressed that in terms of asking good questions, allowing your children to experiment with things. Having those conversations is so important. What did you like about this experience? I remember when my youngest was. I think four, we put him in a spring break camp for soccer because he loved to run, run. That child never walked. He ran, he ran everywhere and he was never winded. I was always so in shock and awe of that, but we put him in, in, in this, because there's a lot of running in soccer. And we thought, again, same thing you alluded to. We can he, we can put him in a situation with other kids. We can help grow his peer group. We can, hopefully he'll learn some, some skills there, like, you know, physical training skills to help him. Some skills around, um, you know, self-control, like you have to stay and do the things. Um, maybe some skills around teamwork, working with other kids, his own age because there's a big age gap between my two kids, all these wonderful things we thought were going to happen. And by day two of of this camp, he looked at my husband and said, I don't want to play with other kids, dad. I just want to run around the field. And he literally, they were in a field that had a track around it. He literally just ran the track for the whole time they were there doing their training. And we learned that from that experience that, That team skills, like not team skills, but team activities were not his passion. And some of the things he said was, I'm afraid I'm going to let my teammates down. What if I can't remember which goal is mine and I score a goal for the other team? What if, you know, I'm the one who's supposed to score that winning goal and I don't make it and that's too much stress and pressure for me. Now, this is a four-year-old telling us this now, obviously we're changing. I'm paraphrasing some of the words. He said, I just want to run. And we have since discovered that he likes solo activity. So he's in Taekwondo where he's in a class, but it is very much him working on himself and to his skill level. He can see other people who are doing things better than him, see other people who are not as, as far along as he is. And he can figure out this is not a comparison. Like there's no right answer. There is specific ways to do things so you don't hurt yourself, but he's not in a situation where he feels like, he has to be assessed, and for lack of a better term, uh, in the podcast world. I'm air quoting this, assessed on his, where he fits in this group. It's just where he is today. Mm-hmm. And how does that compare with where he was tomorrow, yesterday and where he will be tomorrow? What does he need to work on to get better tomorrow? All those skills. So we've learned that that's where he operates best in in a in a sports scene like that, having those conversations with your children is so important too. You're right. There is the comment about this cost a lot of money. Uh, you know you you need to do this or you need to do that. Um, we you know we might want to look at shifting it up and saying, "Okay, I'll register you and we will try it for." x amount of time keep it a short time the younger oh, they in are mind
1: as well you there's always alternatives mm-hmm. there's organizations like Kids sport where you can get equipment for very discounted rates you could ask the neighbors if you could borrow their equipment or would hey your neighbors kids be willing to take my kid out to the field and let's just hit some balls around let's take my kid to one of the little league games before we actually enroll him in little league there's a lot of things you can do to help the child gain perspective as opposed to feeling like you have to buy the cleats the the shoes, the, you know, the jerseys, the everything um, by the personal trainer. And like, you don't have to go all in. It doesn't make you a poor parent. If you're not fully committing as well to your child's um, the thought this week that they want to be a cowboy, you don't go buy the horse, you take them to a dude ranch and you let them <laughs> pet the horses and smell the horses. And maybe that's enough for the kid to say, Nope, don't want to be a cowboy anymore. Right. Or maybe mm-hmm. they hop on and they're just like, this is amazing. So don't always feel like you've got to go all in um, behind Mm -hmm. that. And I also wanted to mention, you know, your son, in that context, he was like, I don't want to be a part of team stuff. But I always laugh when parents will say, my kid just doesn't like math. For me, I was terrible at math. I identified as a child who was terrible at math. But you know, at the moment you put a dollar sign in front of the number, Mm -hmm. I was a bloody genius. And so it could have just been the context that Mm -hmm. your child was like, I feel pressure right now because this is a team sport first in my mind, not a running sport. But all of a sudden, your child um, you know, decides to, I don't know, start collecting Pokemon cards or something like that. And they love the Pokemon. And then they start wanting to talk to other people who also love Pokemon. And then all of a sudden, they're trading the Pokemon. And then they're going to conventions. And now they're interacting with others. And so always remember, um, labeling is a strong thing with kids. Mm-hmm. You label them as someone who prefers independent sports. They will believe you and they will deliberately not take risks in the areas you've labeled them on. So I just really wanted to give that context to you. as a parent. Don't feel like you have to categorize your child ever in their life, but especially as a child, if they did not do well in math, don't label them as a kid who's not good at math, mm-hmm. label them as a kid of not yet. And then eventually they're going to want to learn how to sew dresses, to build bridges out of Legos. And all of a sudden they have to use math when they're doing mm. those things. And now there's an incentive for them to want to learn it, but they're also open to receiving it. That's mm-hmm. one of the other downfalls of the education system is they want everyone to learn the same five skills on the same time frame. But if mm-hmm. I could have learned math a little bit later, once I'd figured out when I'm going to use it, because when you're sitting in the classroom, you're like, what do I care about this for? It has mm-hmm. no, it's not applicable to me right now. We've all been in a seminar or even a TED talk and thought, oh, this is one of the ones I can probably go to the bathroom in. It's it's not relevant to me. That's how a lot of our kids feel when they're mm-hmm. sitting in a classroom. Yep. So just try it to be um, cognizant of any labels you place on your child because they reacted a certain way one time in their life.
0: Yep. Great piece of advice for parents. And of course, you're right. All of us want to do. best by our children and offer them the best we can and um, it does require on our part uh, some thinking outside the box as well in terms of how we're going to approach this and realizing as you said the jobs of 2033 are not even created yet how do we prepare our children when we don't even know what's coming Um, and COVID also taught us a little something about that too. So there's a lot to unpack in all of that. I wanted to circle back because um, you've, you've given some great advice there for parents. You've talked a lot about the soft skills and how um, what you offer with Build-A-Biz can really help out. I love all those things. What is one of your biggest successes so far with all this? Could you share that with us?
1: Um I mean, it would be what we're doing right now. I mean, that's the thing. Like every time you progress and you gain a new realization, that aha moment, that becomes kind of the new success thing. Um, There's a lot of pivotal moments in my personal life. I mean, I remember when I got the job with 1-800-GOT-JUNK straight out of college and everybody wanted to work for 1-800-GOT-JUNK because they were this culture-rich company and I got the job. Then the fact that in my first year, you know, I made... Uh, six figures, which was like unheard of for someone in their early 20s back then. Like, There's been a lot of pivotal moments, but when I look back on those, that was all based on what other people felt was impressive, right? Oh, you got the job. I wanted the job, right? Oh, you made the money. Oh, I want to make the money. It was based on what I thought would make me feel good. We all believe anything that you want in life. If you say, I just oh, I wish I had a million dollars, it's because you believe the million dollars will make you feel better. People will look at you differently. And as we now know, uh, that really doesn't help with your internal happiness. So with what I'm doing now, I mean, when I first started Build a Biz Kids with my partner, that was the most exciting moment. Um, Getting to do something where I'm living vicariously um, through what I'm doing as something that I wanted as a kid. Then there was, uh, I mean, COVID was like a Funny game on the business side for me, where I was like, "Well, that didn't work. All right, let's try this one. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, you know." And so those were all really exciting every time a decision was made. This new distribution strategy, I mean, fundamentally, it's going to reach our mission and like just so much more impressively. Um, it, it's going to allow so many other kids and parents and teachers to have things that they just didn't have before, and it's taking us so much less time. Um, One of the things that we love, I I guess, um, what I love so much and I'm so proud of with the programs that we're creating is our kids who have graduated our programs, they've come back as BDK ambassadors, and they are the spokespeople in our educational videos. Now we've got kids teaching kids, and the people who edited the videos are youth under 30 as well. And so it's just this like, yeah, just everything about our organization is feeding into the mission. and it's fueling me and, and that little child in me who was just screaming to be seen for who I wanted to be, even though I didn't fully know what that was, I knew that I just was never happy growing up. I felt like I was always chasing something and was never fully happy. This is the first time in my life that I don't feel like I'm chasing anyone else's um, approval and that I'm really just living and feeling in myself the satisfaction of whether it's writing a document or a curriculum, reaching out um, and talking to schools or, or my team who's scattered across Canada or even doing podcasts like this and getting to talk about it. like The accomplishments these days when people say, what's that biggest accomplishment that you've had? The things I have to say are not as impressive because they're just valuable to me. They're not necessarily impressive um, externally because that doesn't factor in anymore.
0: That was a beautiful answer. Um, I really like that. And I I hope that that you have all kinds of success around what you're doing because the reach and the impact globally is so amazing and has the potential to really take a strong shift in our entire world and the global economy. Love those things. I'd like to circle back at the beginning. You talked about adopting a school. Um, I would imagine that some people in our audience are looking at that and thinking, uh, A, I need to know more about this. I need to know how this works. I want to look at how this could happen in my kid's school. How can I be involved with that? So I'd like for you to maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Like, For example, if people are involved in a PAC, a Parent Advisory Committee, or a PTA, the Parent Teacher Association, is that something they could say, fundraise for to bring into their schools? Like how there might be individuals who are interested, but if the individual is not presenting themselves just yet, how can people bring this into their schools for their children?
1: Absolutely. So, as a registered Canadian charity, uh, we apply for grants, and so us ourselves are trying to adopt as many organizations as we can, like libraries and rec centers, to get these programs into those areas. But if you're a parent, and you're going, but the programs aren't in my kid's school yet, I want it here, you can adopt your child's school. And what that's doing is a few things. So on the the give side, you care about kids' education, and you want your child to be exposed to these really awesome programs, but also you want to give support and tools and resources, which this is going to sound silly to many who are listening, but we're giving the teachers full color printed lesson plans. They don't get color printing over there. It's those little luxuries. It's getting money for them to be able to put on an awesome kids market day where they can actually get reimbursed on some of their receipts for that. Plus, they're getting the curriculum, the software, the tools and resources. So there's a lot of good things, and it's for all of the teachers All of the students can have exposure to it, not just the entrepreneur program, but as I mentioned, the other programs as well. And um, how we've packaged it is also making it easier on the teachers because we're showing how it ties directly to, at least here in BC so far, the BC mandated curriculum, which is one of the more stringent ones um, from what we understand across Canada. But this is definitely an adopt-a-school program for all of Canada to participate on. Now, as you as a parent, what does that mean? well, if you've ever donated to a charity and you're like, well, I just wrote a check and kind of, I have no idea where that money's going. Who is it helping, (laughs) right? With this, you're able to say, you know, maybe it's a vulnerable community. Maybe you're like, I just want, choose any school you want, but I want it in a lower income area. Or maybe you're like, I want it in the city I live in, or I want this specific school. We're going to do what we can so that your funds are adopting whatever area means a lot to you. And now you know, hey, that at, you know, little Seaview elementary schools having a kid's market day. I was the one who allowed that to kind of come to be right. It, it allows you to know where your money's going. And as a charity, you get your Canadian uh, charitable tax receipt, which is also great. Um, and you can adopt as many schools as you want. So it's essentially $2,000 a year. And it gives the entire school uh, 10 user logins, more if they need it, to the platform, all of the tools, resources, and trainings, the physical printed materials as well as um, uh, $250 they can get put on to their events. Um, And then their their students also get the first right of applications to our larger events that we put on as well. So for the kids who want to continue building and developing, we've got these uh, other adventures that they can come with us on.
0: That is just so inspiring. Um, You know, when we when we look at children in the world we always want for them a better world than the world that we grew up in or we currently have and i'm i'm moved really by your passion by your interest your keen interest in what a legacy that you're creating not just you know in one family or one person but potentially globally um i love that so i'm sure much like me and you're never getting rid of me now um Much like me, there will be people out there who are interested in connecting with you. What is the best way for people to reach you?
1: So uh, LinkedIn is always a great way to reach out to me personally. Um, But if you're looking at the organizations, basically Build a Biz Kids is our handle for all of the social media channels. Uh, So feel welcome to reach out to me there. And if you um, are not only a parent listening to this, but maybe you are someone who runs a large organization. You're like, yes, that whole skill labor gap and I can't find good people. We have something else in the works called the Fuel Academy that we haven't even really gotten into, which is kind of this alternative to the education system. And um, we're looking to work with passionate people who are excited about changing this education system that we are all uh, kind of committed to at this stage and really wanting to see what a future could be. That's a little bit different. So if you're a parent um, and you you know want to learn more and have resources, there's lots of resources on our website. Same with teachers um, as well. If you're a donor and you want to participate, please let us know. And then if you're looking at the bigger picture and you really want to be a part of changing, be finally this thing that we don't keep joking about, about how, oh, the education system hasn't changed. Let's actually start making a big change in the education system globally. Um, then reach out to me as well. And so LinkedIn for personal stuff and Build Biz kids on Facebook, Instagram and all those other ones.
0: Love it. Now, folks, again, if you didn't get a chance to write this all down, it is Build, B-U-I-L-D-A, Biz, B-I-Z or Z, depending on where you're living, kids, K-I-D-S uh, dot com. Uh, but you can also don't write it down because, of course, if you're driving, we would like you to not be a distracted driver, no causing accidents. All of these links will be in the show notes. So you can simply go there to click on them and get the information. Um, Leah, again, I hope my audience now sees why we are so inspired, like absolutely inspired by what you do, by what you're trying to achieve in the world, by the positive ripples you're putting out there. Um The world for sure needs more positivity and more positive ripples. Thank you so much for being one of them. I am so thrilled that you agreed to come on and be a part of the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Does the thought of follow-up give you a foul taste? Do you find yourself wondering how you can ever stand out from the crowd, but need it to be easy and convenient? With a system like Send Out Cards, you can stay in touch and top of mind with only a few keystrokes. People's inboxes might be full, but their mailboxes are empty. Reach people literally where they live, work, or play, and watch the warm fuzzies go to work for you. See the show notes for a link where you can send your first card on me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.